You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. All right, at this time we dismiss our children to Children's Church. We offer children's programs all the way through second grade. So if you are a child and you are in second grade or below, we have uh, an opportunity for you to, uh, to join other children in the children's wing for church. While they're exiting, I want to encourage you to come out tonight for the elder-led prayer meeting. Um, This is probably the most important service that we do uh, all month. Uh, We meet the first Sunday night of each month from 6.30 to 8. And so if you're available, we'd love for you to come. We pray for each other. We pray for the ministries of the church and the community. And we really do believe that prayer makes a difference. So it's a significant investment of our time in what God is doing in our work, and it's a great time to connect to people's hearts, you know? One of the best ways to really kind of get to know somebody is to listen to their prayers, because you really do hear and get to know somebody by what they and how they express themselves to God. So I want to invite you out to be a part of that. For those of you who heard, Tammy was involved in a (coughs) pretty serious car accident this week, and so for those of you who prayed for her, God uh, miraculously let her, her walk away. I'll let her fill in the details of that. But we're, uh, we're really giving thanks uh, for that. You know, we take for granted that we have tomorrow, don't we? And uh, it was just a reminder once again of how quickly life <coughs> can radically change <coughs> while I push the emotions back out of my, uh, my heart. Several years ago, I had the privilege of being a part of mentoring and training 24 Russian church planting pastors. And uh, over the course of getting to know them, it really changed the way I read and understood the epistles. Because I don't know how many of you have been involved in mentoring relationships from a distance with a family member or a friend that you dearly love. And you begin to hear the stories of the things that are challenging their life and the false doctrines that they're being exposed to and your heart goes out to them. And when all you have is is the keyboard and email to express yourself, um, you sometimes feel limited to not being able to sit across a cup of coffee and lock arms with them to, to go to battle over the things that are confronting their life. Well, this morning I want you to think about one of those incidences in your life when you've poured your heart out on behalf of a friend or a family member because you so desperately desired the fullness that God has provided them not to be stolen from them. And you see, as we read the epistles in this letter of Paul to the Colossians, if all we do is listen to his words and fail to hear his heart, we really cheat ourselves out of the richness that God has provided for us Because these are real people in a real place dealing with real issues, and many of those issues are things that we confront today. So this morning as we open our text, I want you to open your heart with me to begin to hear the shepherd's heart, the pastoral role of Paul as he pleads and addresses the challenges that the Colossians are confronting, that nothing be robbed from them in regards to what God has provided for them. So open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're picking up our study again, beginning in verse 24, where we read these words. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am, will, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, 
the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the fullness, of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us the ability to bring into focus the great truths that Paul communicated to the Colossian Christians that are just as real and relevant for us today as we learn to minister in a way that would see us all grow up into a perfect reflection of who you are and see a community built that is life-giving and empowering each of us to take hold of the full wisdom and knowledge that comes from God in a very experiential way. So Lord, we commit this this next few minutes to you, and we ask you to do a mighty work in each of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, the heading would be Paul's ministry to the church, and we're looking at two things in this. We're looking at Paul's example in Colossians 1, 24 through 29, and we're looking at Paul's exhortation to the church in verses 2 through 1 through 5 of chapter 2. Paul has turned a corner and he's beginning to put on a pastoral heart. He has just made a declaration of the greatness of who God is and what he has done. And Patrick brought that into focus last week for us. And now he's beginning to pour out his heart, hoping and praying and pleading with the Colossians not to allow any of the heresies, the mysticism, the legalism, the staticism that is trying to grab hold of their thinking and misdirect them from focusing on Christ and stealing from them all that Jesus has done for them and who he is, that he has provided for every need that they have, saved them, made them pure and blameless, given them everything they need for life and godliness. And so now he begins to talk about his ministry to them, and he opens that in verse 24 with these words. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. In Paul's example, we see that Paul joyfully sacrificed to see the gospel spread. You see, Paul is writing really his spiritual grandchildren, He hadn't been there personally, but he was vested in seeing the gospel, the great commission completed, and he rejoiced in his role in their ministry by having had a small part of seeing the gospel delivered them. And we see in this that there is joy in sacrifice 
when it's for the sake of spreading the gospel. So many times we take for granted the privilege we have of being a part of Great Commission ministry, of having the opportunity, like the Apostle Paul, to share the news that he had just declared to them, that the God of the universe, the creator of everything, loved you enough to come into this world, take on flesh and blood, die on a cross, that through faith alone in his work, you might be reconciled, restored to a right relationship with him and have absolutely everything that you need for life and a relationship with God and one another. We're going to talk a whole lot more about what that means and how that fleshes itself up. But Paul's reflecting on what he just said, and he says, you know, it's a great privilege to have given everything that I have given for the sake of what God's doing in your life. We forget sometimes all that Paul suffered, and that suffering is related to following Christ. Because we in America, we kind of like things comfortable and convenient. And uh, when someone talks about sacrifice, we don't always, uh, you know, start jumping up and down. But listen to what Paul recorded about the sacrifice he made for the saints. He says this. He says, imprisoned with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and at, in a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger... In the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposed. And apart from all of this, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You know, Paul's telling them, he says, look, everything that I've gone through that's brought the gospel to you was worth it. And he counts it a joy. Now, in his phrasing, phrasing this, we sometimes go, wow, didn't he just say that Christ had accomplished absolutely everything that was required for the gospel? And so when, when Paul says, I am filling up what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ, what does he mean? Because was, didn't Christ's work on the cross finish the work that was required for us. And what Paul is referring to is the Great Commission ministry, that there is sacrifice required in actually delivering this message. And this is a sacrifice that today we still need to embrace with honor and with privilege because there is a cost involved in carrying the message that Jesus loves you, died for you, is provided for you, and it's the best news that anyone could ever receive. And somehow the devil has made us... Uh, cautious in sharing courageously this amazing news that is life-giving, and we're going to flesh it out more and all that it holds for the world and for you, being Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have an unbelievable message to bring to the world, to incarnate and to reveal and to expose and to share. And Paul says, this is a great privilege, even though it involves sacrifice, there's joy in it. Now, there are things that we joy in the sacrifice in the world, isn't there? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is watching my, my wife uh, deliver our children. Very painful, enormous sacrifice, but she's filled with joy the whole time. Why? Because of what she is giving birth to, because of what it is creating. And you know what? In the same level, when your hearts begin to connect to people in the work of God, 
When you sacrifice to see spiritual birth, life brought to people who don't know Jesus, you begin to understand and and begin to be filled with that same joy. You begin to rejoice with God. Thank you for the privilege of allowing me to be a part of advancing your kingdom, of sharing this great news, of contributing to bringing hope to a helpless and hopeless world. It's an enormous privilege. Now for you and I, we've been enormously blessed to be citizens of this, of this great land, and oftentimes are required, very little is required of us. The pastors that I mentored, multiple, several of them went to jail for their faith, got less jobs because their profession to be Christian. And we don't necessarily live with that sign of pressure, but there's still things that are required of us to sacrifice, to fulfill the work that God's called us to in this community. Now, this is a holiday weekend, so we're not bursting at the seams. But one of the things that we're each going to have to consider as we move forward, as we want to make room for those in our community that God wants to reach and see discipled in the faith, is we're going to have to make room for them in the, in the, on the, on the, in the building. And that's going to require some of us to give up our preferred worship time. Because there's going to be a time come, probably very soon, where we're going to need to do two services to be able to have a place for the people that God is using us to connect with and reach on a daily basis. And so I really want you to begin to pray now. You know, Lord, is that a small sacrifice that I can make for the sake of advancing your work, your kingdom in this community? There's going to be ministries that are going to need to be multiplied. We're going to need more of us to step up and to serve in our children's ministries so we can provide those services in both worship times. And that's going to provide an opportunity for us to serve, but let's be honest, that requires a level of sacrifice on our part. And those are the small things that I think we need to be asking ourselves. Lord, for the sake of the gospel, is there something that my family can do, that I can do, to help advance the work that you're wanting to do through the community of faith that we call Genesis Community Church? Because it's as we all contribute and give a little bit, much is accomplished as God begins to work through us. So the Apostle Paul reminds them that it was his sacrifice for the sake of the Great Commission that brought the gospel to them and has allowed them to be able to be um, assured that their children of God, as Matt prayed, adopted and absolutely secure and safe in Christ. Paul begins by reminding them of the joy that comes in Great Commission work. And then he goes on and he challenges them to say that not only do you need to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, you need to identify your calling, your role, your part in the work of God. If the church is going to grow up and be all that it is, each of us must do our part, what, God, what we were created to do. And the Apostle Paul addresses this when he says this, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul had a clear understanding of his personal calling. He knew that he was called to reach Gentiles, that that was his calling. Now, if you ever wonder if God has a personality, all you have to do is look at the fact that he called Paul to be an apostle to Gentiles because because Paul was a Jew's Jew. Paul came from the right pedigree. Paul was on a, you know, fast track to hierarchy in the Jewish religious system. 
And God came along and said, hey, I got different plans for you. And did a miraculous thing in that he saved Paul and where Paul probably as a young man said, Lord, you know, I will never do anything good for a Gentile. I mean, they're just viewed as pigs. And now God, what? Has been ministering to Gentiles. So kind of said, have you ever said, man, I never want to do that. You know, hey, that may be God nudging you to say, hey, you know what? That may be exactly where I'm leading you to. But Paul had a clear understanding of what he was called to. And you know what we all need to wrestle with? What is our role? What is our responsibility? What have I been created to contribute to the strength and the growth of the body of Christ? Because it's when we each find our place and do our part and fulfill our role that the kingdom of God advances and is more fruitful in the work. Now, you might be called to a people like Paul, or you might be called to a place like Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? God said, Jonah, I want you to go to what? Nineveh because I've got plans to use you there. Jonah had different plans. But so many of us, that's kind of something that we wrestle with every day. Because I don't know about you, when opportunity knocks and it involves moving, sometimes I don't like to pray about it because the opportunity might hold privileges that my present situation doesn't. Have you ever been there? You know, a few years ago, Tammy and I had come through kind of a, a season of, of genuine sacrifice to help birth Mission Houston. And I had church planted in Orlando and got an opportunity to come pastor at Cypress Bible, a church of, you know, 1,200 or so. And it's like, hey, I'm on the right career trajectory path as a minister. And then we're ministering and we come and I get an opportunity to go be a teaching pastor at Northland Church in Fort Worth with Dr. Bob Roberts, church of several thousand people. And you're thinking, wow, God's really... God's really blessing. So Tammy and I literally, we had gone up, got accepted, put money down on a house. We were ready to go to Fort Worth to minister on this big platform. And we got back and I began to talk to friends and repeatedly people would say, you know, I don't know that God's through with you here. And that's not what you want to hear when you got a big opportunity and a big salary and big expense accounts all waiting for you. It's like, God, no. But you know, over a period of time, God says, no, nah, you know, that's not where I want to leave you. I've still got something for you to do here. And so we stayed. And now, you know why I believe God has great plans for us? Because I know that God's called me here. And I know the same thing's true for Pat. And hearing his testimony, he was ready to go anywhere in the world. He was fired up to go, you know, to the point of the spear, uh, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And after some conversation, not to tell all of his story, he became convinced through some wise counsel that, you know what, God has something for you right here in Spring, Texas. And when people are willing to say yes to what God is calling to, even at the expense of what appears to be a career, a good career choice, you can, you can count on God's blessing. And where I challenge you is, is in a world where kind of the, the corporate rules our life. It says, hey, move here, go there. We're owned by someone other than Christ sometimes. We need to let God direct our paths. Because as we as a body commit to the calling that God has upon us, 
we can be absolutely sure that the fruitfulness and that faithfulness will find us and we can become a part of one of the most amazing movements and works of God in Spring, Texas that anyone ever has imagined because it's what Jesus has chosen to do through us, not what we're doing for him, trying to advance our agenda. Or you know you can be called to just a person. I love the story of the Apostle Paul's conversion. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump to the part that I like. Paul was blinded by a broad light. Now, Paul was out persecuting. He was known as Saul, the church. And Ananias is woken up by God and says, hey, I've got a task for you. And this is what the scripture says. It says, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings of the children of Israel. Have you ever had God tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I want you to go talk to that person? And you kind of go, you're kidding me. I don't have anything in common with them. I don't even like them. This is what Ananias is saying. He's saying, God, haven't you made a mistake? Don't you know that Paul's out killing Christians and you want me to go talk to him? And he has the full authority of the chief priest to do whatever he wants. Have I heard you right? Are you sure, God? And God says, yes. Here's what, I want to, here's what I believe. There's a Saul put in all of our lives that God is calling us to come alongside and to share the gospel, to share the good news. And that might take us outside of our comfort zone, but if we're going to walk in the calling that God has created us for, I can assure you that there's people in the place that God has put you, that you are there to be Christ for them. And as each of us embrace with courage the call that God has given us, we can be assured that God is going to move in our lives and in our midst for the sake of his glory. And so as we seek to look at the example that Paul left us, we see that he modeled joy in sacrificing for the spread of the gospel. We see that he had wrestled with his calling and understood it and was committed to it. And we see that Paul was faithfully willing to declare the message that God had called him to. Look at verse 26 and 27. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to us, to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Paul proclaimed an exclusive, an inclusive gospel when that was not popular. In fact, when many Jewish believers were saying, now wait a minute, you can't say that Gentiles have equal standing in the church as us. We're God's chosen people. 
And Paul understood that he had been called to declare that message. And it wasn't popular. And this is the beauty. Paul was called to bring this mind-blowing message of inclusiveness and equality that is present in the body of Christ. And that's a message that every generation needs. That's one of the reasons that we celebrate diversity here. Because Jesus says the gospel includes everyone and is open to everyone. It doesn't matter what race, what social status, what education, male, female, it doesn't matter who you are, you're equal in Christ. And that was a message that took courage to deliver. And sometimes it takes that same courage today. But one of the beautiful things about Genesis Community Church is there is an inclusive open door to everyone. And we celebrate the diversity that God is building into our body because that reflects the kingdom of God. That reflects the heart of God. That reflects the passion of God. So what does this all mean? Paul says this in his message, the mystery, the mystery, what is that? Mystery, when you encounter it in, the, in biblical teaching, isn't that it's unknowable. That's eh, a mystery. Nobody will ever know. Yeah, we find out one day when we get to heaven. You know, mystery in Scripture is something that was unknown but has been made known by divine revelation. And so Paul says, I have the great privilege of bringing to you this message from God, this mystery, that in the body of Christ, everyone is equal, that we are all one in Jesus. And then he proves that, he works that out by saying, because we've all been given the same spirit. And that is a mind-blowing Christian doctrine, that Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit, lives in you and is present in us as his body in the world today. You know, just pause for a minute and marinate in that truth. Because that is such a big revelation that it's hard for us to even believe it. Because so many of us said, you know, I trusted Christ as my Savior and I didn't feel any lightning rod. And you know, you're thinking to yourself, it's like, man, if God came to live in me, that should make a difference. Well, right. It ought to. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you had, you know, this mind-blowing experience until you wrap your mind around the truth of what just happened. That you became the temple of God. That God lives in you. That there's nothing that you can't do. And that you have an equal inheritance in everything that was promised to Jesus. We are all joint heirs with Christ. Waiting for us in heaven is an inheritance that every one of us shares in. And this is the news that Paul is saying is, is the mystery. That every single believer shares the same inheritance and the same spirit and are on equal footing with God. That there is no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. That we are all equal and of equal value and loved equally by God. And that's a powerful message because that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the hope of glory is a present and future reality. It's the hope of glory that one day we're going to glory. We're going to heaven. We're going to be in the presence of God and experience all the majesty of who he is. But it's also the hope of glory that today you have the power 
to align your life with the wisdom of God's providential design. And we can be a healing agent in the world. We can bring hope because the anger and the unforgiveness and the bitterness that fills hearts can be dissolved away by the work of God in your lives. The trouble in a marriage, the, dis the discrimination, the prejudice that exists in communities can be solved because of Jesus. We bring the hope of God's providential design for life and living to everyone who will receive it. We are the hope of the world. We are the only solution for all the challenges that exist because the only thing that's going to start, you know, end prejudice is the gospel. The only thing that's going to real heal, heal marriages where people have cheated and hurt one another is the gospel. It's Jesus, the only thing that will move people to sacrifice selflessly for the good of somebody else, is Jesus. The only hope that this world holds is that Christians will be faithful to the calling that God has privileged them to carry to the ends of the earth. And that oh, we will not see a perfect world until Jesus returns, we can be a source of substantial healing in the world because of the God that lives in us, because of the message, the gospel that we share. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God is at work in your life, and God is aligning you with everything that you need to live your life by His design and manifest His truth to a world who desperately needs it. And that is an unbelievable privilege and calling. And so the Apostle Paul modeled for us this joyful sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, this commitment to a personal calling, this inclusive message that though people pressed against it, he kept proclaiming it because he knew that only in the gospel and all the power that it holds was the hope for humanity. <laughs> and then he goes forward and he declares that if the world is to receive the hope that we hold, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must keep our priorities clear. Paul had a clear ministry priorities. Look at verse 28. He says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's priority was to proclaim Christ and to present every man perfect in Christ. Paul's focus was Jesus. It was the proclamation of what he just made, who he is, what he's done, and the reality that in that you are made whole and you are healed and you are healthy. And Paul understood that if anything became a higher priority than lifting Jesus up, you had the wrong priority. Because the hope of the gospel is in Jesus. And so Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the life in the church. Jesus is the church. If you are ever a part of a church that isn't lifting Jesus up, you're in a fall, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a heretical church. If we ever start to preach anything other than Jesus, leave. Because Jesus is our only hope. And Paul understood that. And it wasn't in all the study he had done as a Jewish rabbi and all the pedigree, all the things that he could say, listen to me, I'm important. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I don't have anything worth listening to 
if I'm not talking about Jesus. And guess what? None of the rest of us do either. It's Jesus in us that makes us a value. And when we do anything other than try to bring out the Jesus in one another, we're failing one another. And one of the real struggles in this world is when we start making disciples of a tradition or of a pastor or of a particular theology that isn't aligned with the truth. And Paul's saying, don't buy it. He's saying, Jesus is the answer. We proclaim him and him alone. And it is to you maturing in that. And that process can be at times uncomfortable. He says to lift Jesus up involves sometime admonishing. And so he admonishes and admonishing is confronting with the intent of changing one attitude and actions. And so when somebody starts to hold up something other than Jesus or a truth apart from the scripture, guess what? They need to be confronted. And the Apostle Paul says, for us to mature in our faith, we have to have the courage to confront one another because we don't all hold all truth. And the amazing thing was, as I'm, past, as I'm mentoring these, uh, these pastors, the parallels between Colossians, because these guys had very little access to the internet. They had very few resources. And so they were studying and trying to discern the scriptures pretty much on their own. And literally, some of these guys would say, hey, you know, I've been studying this passage, and last night I had a dream. And this is what God said. And that dream was so far out in left field that initially I'd try to be a little bit diplomatic in dealing with them. And then I finally got to the point where God said, brother, that's heresy. I don't care who, who you heard that from. That's just wrong. And you know what? If we're going to grow up in the faith, we have to have that courage with each other. Because guess what? At times, we're going to get it wrong. You're going to be listening to a radio program on your way to work, and somebody's going to say something really inspiring, but false. And you're going to get inspired by it, and you're start to share it, and somebody goes, wait a minute. We need that with each other, because there's all kinds of, you know, Paul talks about this flowery speech going on out there that's directing you to things and away from Jesus. And Paul says, if we're going to grow up into Christ, if we're going to mature, we need to keep our eyes focused on him, and we need to have the courage to tell each other when we start saying suspicious things, wait a minute, we better hold that up to the scripture, because if it isn't aligned with what Jesus taught and who he is, it needs to be uprooted from our lives. And the second part of that is teaching. And teaching is presenting Christian truth so the believer may know the truth and grow in it. You are able to identify error by being familiar with what? With the truth. And so we need to be sharing the truth, what God has given us through our study with each other. And Paul goes into the dynamic of this relationship in the first few verses in chapter 5. So Paul was an example of a person who had the right priorities. And as he pastored the church and he shepherded them, he said, look, it's not about me. It's all about him. So don't get focused on me. Keep your eyes locked on Jesus. And if we ever start to do anything other than that, we're in trouble. So then Paul moved on. He says, it's all about Jesus and it's Jesus who provides the power. Paul understood the source of the strength of his ministry was Jesus. In verse 29, he says this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. <clears throat> all right, I got news for you. 
The Christian life isn't just difficult, it's impossible. You can't do it in your own strength. The ministry that God's called you to, you're not capable of. If you try to do it apart from God's strength, you're going to burn out, you're going to crash, you're going to hurt yourself and others. Because this is where the devil really works in our lives. He fails to have us fully be able to embrace the grace that God has given us, and so we think we still have to do things for God. And when we're trying to do something for God, it's not him doing it through us. And it might be a good thing, but if it's done in your strength and not his, it's going to wear you out. Because ministry isn't easy. It's supernatural. And the apostle Paul says, look, he says, even with Christ working through me, we are, we are co-laborers with Jesus. I'm still worn out, but I'm able to press forward because of the life of Christ that is at work in me. I can supernaturally, supernatural, persevere and press forward. And it's Jesus, not me. So don't go saying, man, you're amazing. He's saying, man, it's Jesus in me. Everything that's getting done, it's not done in my power. It's not done in my strength. It's done through him. And if you're going to try to grow up in your faith, it's learning to let Jesus live through you, not you learning to live for him. And that's a huge stumbling block for a whole lot of believers because it's so hard to believe there's nothing we do. It's what he does in and through us. So Paul describes a life that requires a supernatural connection to God. And then in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, he exhorts those Christians to engage in the life that will produce these qualities, characters, capacities to minister. What Paul was offering to them, they now are going to be able to offer to one another as they mature and grow and become the body that God's created them to be. And so he exhorts them to the importance of really living in Christian community. But it is because it is in connection to God and connection to one another that we have all that we need provided to us by God. And so Paul begins this exhortation towards Christian community with a challenge of the importance of, of encouragement. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul understands the importance of encouragement. And encouragement literally in the Greek, means to call alongside or to come alongside. You see, we, we weren't designed to live isolated or alone. We need to be connected. We need to have the truth alongside us. We need to have our brothers and sisters alongside us because that encourages Encouragement comes in word and in comes in deed. And the Apostle Paul is going to begin to lay out qualities that come in Christian community. And as he seeks to exhort them to encourage, he is encouraging them by letting them know, hey, look, my heart has, goes out to you. I am pleading in prayer on your behalf. Remember his prayer that he began the, 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 the book with? That he's praying that they might have all the wisdom and knowledge of God, everything that they need for life. Now he's beginning to show them the path to actually take hold of what he prayed would be a part of their life. And so he's letting them know that in 
Community comes encouragement because the next component of this is love. And he says in the second part of verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, being knit together in love. And literally the Greek text reads like this, that you may be encouraged since you are knit together in love. Encouragement comes in being knit together in love with others. Encouragement comes, love is incarnated when you live in community, when you live connected with one another. And the love that he's talking about is the, is the love, it's the ability to love one another the way Christ loved them. It's this perfect love. It's this agape love. It's this sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that if we live in our brokenness, we believe we don't deserve. It's the kind of love the world holds up to us, a conditional love. You do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And that's not the love he's talking about. He's saying in, in, in Christian community, when you're connecting with other believers, you are knit together as a body, the body of Christ, that will provide for you an encounter with love that is truly supernatural. You will see people come alongside you and give of themselves in ways that you think, I'm not worthy of that. And you'll be able to experience that love because that's God pouring out himself in your heart to say, yes, you are. Remember the price that was paid for you. And when we think we're not worthy, it's Jesus who determined our worth. And he said you were worth the life of my son. And so it takes a spiritual maturing attitude to even begin to unconditionally accept this love. So have you noticed in the world is when you begin to try to love somebody unconditionally, some of them say don't. You know, because why? Because as you start doing good for them, they feel indebted to you. Because that's the world's love. Now, here's what I want you to hear. That's not the love Christ is describing. That's not the love Paul is describing. Paul is, Paul is supplying a life-giving love, a love that comes with no strings attached, unconditionally given to you. And that's the invitation that comes in Christian community. That's what we hope you find as you connect to a community group, a group of people who will sacrificially give for you with no expectation of you doing anything other than you being you. Because it's in you being you that you make the contribution to this body that God created you for. And we celebrate that diversity and honor it. Because it's when we connect, when our hearts are knit together that encouragement flows, love flows, and then it gets really amazing. Because it's not just love and encouragement, it's enrichment into, into a spiritual perspective. Look at verse um, 2b. <clears throat> to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Here's what he's saying is this. It's only being knit together in love that you are going to have the spiritual enrichment poured into your life that you're going to be able to ever really wrap your mind around everything that God has given you in Christ. Everything that you are in Christ. All the power, all the purpose, all of the potential that is in you because God lives in you. The only way you're going to come to free yourself from the brokenness that the world has, uh, has sown into all of our lives is to live in Christian community to in, order, in order to be able to really experience something different. 
And the important thing to understand is that in the Greek, the word knowledge is gnosko, which is an experiential knowledge. He doesn't just want you to know it intellectually. He wants you to actually be able to touch it, breathe it, experience, taste it, know it, not just in my head, but in my life. And so he's saying, as you plug in to, as you allow your heart to be knit together with other people of faith, that God is as much a part of their life as, as yours, there is an exchange of life that takes place that enriches your ability to see truth more accurately, to align yourself with who God has called you to be, to feel the freedom to give, not out of obligation, but out of privilege. And he goes on, if that's not enough. He says this. He says, not only do we enrich each other, but we really fully enlighten one another. He says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul's saying this, I am praying that you will grow up into this full knowledge of the wisdom and the knowledge of God that is available to you and that comes to you through interaction with one another and the Word as the Spirit of God works through you. Because each of us bring a perspective. And it's not that there's different perspectives of the truth, there's one truth, but... There are, different, uh, there are different ways of having it brought into focus. See, I, I only know what I know. I only see what I see. And I'm limited to my own life experiences because that's all I know. Until I can trust you and your perspective and your life experiences and let it enrich or enlighten my own understanding because you speak truth as well as my truth. And I, I know this is an old illustration, but I still think it's pretty classic in, in understanding what I think God's trying to say as we grow up in the faith together. Remember the old story about three, three blind men who run into an elephant? One grabs the trunk, another a leg, and, and another um, an ear. And they're asked to describe the elephant. And one says it's like a giant snake because it's got a hold of the trunk. The other one who's got a hold of the leg says, no, it's like a giant tree trunk, like a tree. Another one's got it here, it's like a giant leaf. Now, here's the reality. Every one of them is describing the truth from their perspective. But it isn't until they trust each other enough to know that all of that is a part of the same thing, that an elephant begins to be brought into focus. And it isn't until we become a body and we trust each other enough with our understanding and life experiences and giftings that suddenly change or bring to life the fullness of what God is saying that it takes on a whole new meaning to us. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, and he says it this way in, uh, in Ephesians. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we connect 
in Christian love with one another, aligned with the calling and courageously sharing the things that God has given us and not cowardly, not engaging in conversation because you think, well, I don't know if I'm right. But we're willing to openly share what God has shown us. It's then that we grow each other up. You see, the body grows itself up as it begins to use the giftings and talents that God has poured into each of us. It's not just the elder's job to grow the church. The church grows itself up as each of us contribute what God has called us and created us to give and to be. And it's then that we're all more fully enlightened, enriched, loved, and encouraged so that we are able to live the life God's called us to. And when people look at us, they go, wow, that's amazing. Look at what God is doing there. And they know that it's God and not us because it's miraculous and it's supernatural. And there are people from every social, economic level and every race and every generation loving and caring and giving to one another selflessly and sacrificially. And in that we incarnate the gospel, the good news that Jesus has called us to declare. You know, it's a hard message to sometimes get your arms around. I had the privilege of doing the funeral of a man that I had the honor of leading to the Lord a few years ago. And uh, it was really great to be able to share at his funeral our conversation. This is a guy who was a, uh, a general in the, uh, in the Air Force and had lived a pretty rough life. Grown up, up as a child, as a Catholic. Hadn't really gone to church his whole life. When his wife passed away, he began to think more about eternal things, and so he began to come to church. He came to church one Easter, and afterwards, I went by to visit him, and he said this to me. He said, Pastor, he says, I'm going to share with you what I think I heard you say, because what I think I heard you say, I think, I don't think can be right. And, I, and so he articulates the gospel back to me. He says, did you say that that?" that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, and then by simply believing, we can be reconciled to a relationship with him? And I said, yes, that's what I believe the Bible teaches. He says, well, that just doesn't seem like enough. He says, that's the struggle so many of us have. You know, really believing that what Jesus did was enough, that there's no more for us to do. And if we simply accept what he has done for us and we begin to allow him to live in and through us, we can become an intricate part of growing up the body that he's connected us to and making significant impact in the world. And it's when we think we have to do something for God in order for God to then accept or work or bless us that we believe to lie. This is really what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He's saying, look, as you look at my life and you see the things God has used me to do, guess what? He wants to do as much or more through you. And the way that I got to where I am was by engaging in the body of Christ and living in, in, in Christian community where encouragement and love and enrichment and enlightenment comes as the body becomes the incarnation of Christ. And we grow each other up. 
and we strengthen and empower each other for things that we can't even imagine that we're capable of. And that's the work that God wants to do in and out of us. God wants to do things beyond anything that we can imagine. That's what Ephesians tells us. Unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. If you desire that unimaginable experience and encounter with God, I really believe that the most critical thing that you can do is get plugged into Christian community. Now, there's not any of us that are looking for more to do. <clears throat> but I believe this so much because it's what I believe the Apostle Paul is challenging us towards, that if you need to take something else out of your life, do it in order to join a community group and begin to live and share life with other believers who genuinely will love you selflessly and allow you to do the same for them. And so if we are going to become everything that God's called us to, it requires us to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And that first sacrifice I'm going to ask you to make is to do more than just come to church. But I want to ask you to begin to consider serving the church. And I want to ask you to identify a community group that you can become a part of and to begin to share your life with and allow them to share your life with you. Because here's the truth. It doesn't matter how much you study on your own. No matter how many uh, podcasts you listen to, seminars you go to, Sunday morning worship services you attend, if you don't become a part of Christian community, you're going you're gonna to mutate and not mature. Your own individual perspective is going to draw you astray because there are all kinds of, 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 of heresies out there. And we need each other to keep ourselves locked in on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. So if you're not a part of a community group, plan to be one. If you're not serving somewhere in the church, plan to do that because it is in that that you will find life. And I'm not asking you to do that to grow this body up. I'm asking you to do that because you're a child of God and your life is going to become richer, more fulfilled. You are finally going to be able to be able to one day say, I know the wisdom and knowledge of God for life and living. And it is God moving through you in ways that you can't even imagine. That's why we exist, my friends. It's to be Christ in the world. It's to find the joy that the Apostle Paul found in carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth and being a part of fulfilling the Great Commission so when we stand before God one day, we hear as Paul, well done, good and faithful servant. And I can assure you, that will not be your reality if you don't align with the exhortation of Paul today. To join Christian community to pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel in order to learn to let Christ live through you to free you from feeling that you have to do anything for God because it's all been done, my friends. It's all been done. Jesus has spread a table out before us, a feast for us, and we have a place marker there if we'll just take our seat at the table and accept who we are in Christ and who he's called us to be. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.